say this again. Good morning. Makes it easier for Sunny to say something. This is that. This is the beginning. This week. Uh, and I want to warn you that there may be some weed whacking going on. Hopefully, it'll be over on the other side. Let's see. So I want to talk about two things and how they go together. And the first one is a wonderful quote from Nureyev. I think everybody knows who Rudolf Nureyev was. I think maybe the gardener's here. So here, and I don't remember where I got this. Every person should dance for life. Not being a dancer, but dancing. Who will never know the pleasure of walking into a hall with wooden bars and mirrors? Who stops because they don't get results? Who always needs stimulus to love or live? Hasn't entered the depths of life and will abandon every time life won't give her what she wants. It's the law of love. You love because you feel the need to, to do it. Not to get something or to be reciprocated. Otherwise, you're destined for unhappiness. Every, can you stop it? Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. She sort of tapered off, like, <laughs> All right. Every person, every person should dance for life. Not being a dancer, but dancing. Who will never know the pleasure of walking into a hall with wooden bars and mirrors? Who stops because they don't get results? Who always needs stimulus to love or live? <laughs> That person hasn't entered the depths of life and will abandon every time life won't give him what he wants. It's the law of love. You love because you feel the need to do it, not to get something or to be reciprocated. Otherwise, you're destined for unhappiness. He said it all. <laughs> I just think that's marvelous. I mean, for him, walking into a hall with wooden bars and mirrors must be a great, must have been a great joy. I bet you, though, that there were times when it wasn't. When he just, he needed, because I'm sure he had to practice all the time, just like Steph does. And if you don't know who Steph is, you can ask me later. So we all have our own walking into a hall with wooden bars and mirrors. It sounds pretty wonderful to me, actually, and I couldn't, you know, I never could do have done much, and I sure can't now. But just, it must be, I could just, I can um, project onto that the pleasure that it, that it must be. 
when I walk into the kitchens at Tassajara um, or City Center, I have that feeling, I think. But the person who stops because they don't get results, who always needs stimulus to love or to live, I'll only love you if you don't if you if you love me back. That person hasn't entered the depths of life. And will abandon every time life won't give him what he wants. That's so sad to me. I think it's a particularly American thing, and I'm not sure about that, but at any rate, it's a human thing to, to want instant gratification, to want a reward. Mel used to say, well, if I think you need a cookie, I'll give you a cookie. But otherwise, he probably wouldn't. I think, I wonder if the dog is distracting, because I see that the door's open and she's flying in it. Is that distracting to you guys online? Because I can't see her. Well, I can see her in the screen. Okay. At any rate, I think that that is often true when people come to a Zen center, start meditating, and and, uh, and then after a little while, as Kate mentions, you know, they find out, oh, I'm not going to get enlightenment, and I'm not going to be perfect in three months, maybe never. And then some people leave. She stayed, and her understanding is much deeper now. You love because you feel the need to do it. Now the, the thing I wanted to compare it with or, or contextualize it with is that on the, uh, on the American Zen Teachers Association uh, listserv, people have been talking about renunciation and striving and whether maybe we've become too sort of soft. That they need. In the olden days, they talked about renunciation and striving. And there's some truth to that, but I've always felt that the Mahayana Buddhism, especially Zen, was about, well, Zen, Soto Zen, I should say. Soto Zen is not. It, it is about striving. I mean, there's Dogen saying, you, know, you should, what is it, sit until your butt is bloody or something. Words to that effect. But we say that we're the dumb farmer school and we sit underneath the tree and wait for the apple to fall.
So I don't know that it's useful to beat ourselves up because we're not talking about renouncing all worldly goods and going off to the forest and striving after enlightenment. And I don't think that's what Nuryev is talking about. He's talking about dancing. as a metaphor for living and to do, do it because you love it. And as I'm sure you know from your own experience, loving something or someone isn't always easy. We say sit zazen just as make it a habit like brushing your teeth. And I wouldn't say, oh, I, I like brushing my teeth in the morning because I don't like the way my mouth tastes really. And I think that's common. But it's just sort of what you do. And we can't, you know, we can't uh, question Dongshan You know, who who uh, went off to the monastery and his mother came to see him and he wouldn't see her because he wasn't enlightened yet. And we can't find, we don't know if that's really true. And we don't know what was going on with him or with them, what their relationship was. And we read about people like Huike, uh, Bodhidharma's first Chinese disciple cutting off his arm to show Bodhidharma that he really meant it. I don't know if that happened. There's lots of hitting in the koans. So a wonderful teacher uh, named Maureen Stewart, she used to say that she, she really, she thought really those were, those really weren't hits, they were really more like just taps or something. Who knows? Who knows if it even happened? But it gets your attention, doesn't it? At any rate, we're living here in the West and we understand these things as we understand them, just as the Chinese understood them, as they understood them. And, and Buddhism changes as it goes from country to country. And I understand renunciation to be more about letting go and not grasping. And not averting also, which is just the other side of the grasping coin. So it's not holding on to I, me, mine, just self. Somebody in these discussions said something about Vimalakirti, 
Does everybody know who Vimala Kirti was? Does anybody not know who Vimala Kirti was? And please don't be shy and raise your hand if you don't know who Vimala Kirti was. I've only heard the name. I don't right, know. Okay. <laughs> Vimala Kirti was a uh, lay disciple of the Buddha, and he was very famous as he was a really he was a very tough guy. Tough teacher. There's a whole sutra, the Vimala Kirti Sutra, about him. And years ago, I don't know if Liam, if you were here, we had we had a kind of a shadow play uh, about Vimala Kirti when we studied when we studied it. And the the story is that Vimala Kirti was extremely rich. He was, I guess, a merchant of some kind, or a landowner, or both. And he is said to have bested Manjushri in a debate. He, I forget what he asked. He asked some question of, of the, the elders that were gathered with him. And, uh, and Manjushri went last. And Manjushri, it was, I don't know, it was like, what is emptiness or something like that. And uh, Manjushri bowed. And then Manjushri said, what about you? And Vimala Kirti famously was just silent. And somebody in this teacher's discussion about renunciation said, Vimala Kirti was wealthy, but he didn't care about it. And I say, he must have cared about it. He might not have been attached to it. He might not have been that concerned about whether he was rich or not. But he must have cared about it, or he wouldn't have been rich. Even if he inherited it from his daddy. Well, it depends on the daddy. Never mind. I'm not going there. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, you, have to, you have to take care of it. You have to pay people that work for you. And hopefully, if you're a bodhisattva, you pay them well. But at any rate, you have to do that. You have to, you have to make sure that if somebody orders something from you, that they get it. Or that if you order something, that you get it. You just have to take care of it. And that's a distinction that I think we need to make in our own lives. We're in, uh, in this country, you know, Buddhism, Zen is much more lay than it is uh, priest-driven. And even as a priest, I have to, I have to care about it. <laughs> I have to notice, oh, that's a good quote. Hey, I could use that one. <laughs> and I wrote it down. So there's a kind of caring that's just like taking care of. And there's a kind of caring that's grasping, and that is nurious. Um, that uh, talking about that that uh, you do not to get something, nor to be reciprocated. You just do it because you love it. 
You could even say you do it because it needs to be done. Uh, the dog needs to be walked. The baby needs to be fed. We need to sit zazen. And I, I love zazen, and I sometimes don't like it. Sometimes there's something that I can't, I don't want to touch. And so I distract myself, or it's boring. Because so I, I know I'm turning away from something, but I'm just, that's just the way it is. Sometimes it's hard because things are coming up that are hard to be with. But I think of all that as like, you know, ripples on the surface of the sea. And down below, it's stable. There's that image that Dogen uses about, you know, being swimming on the surface at the same time that you're walking on the bottom. So we do, we do let go, or we strive to let go. We're always working on letting go. I mean, every time you, you uh, notice that you're thinking and you come back to your breath and your body, it's awesome, you're letting go. It's practice, right? And we strive to sit up straight and we strive to pay attention. Do I need to say with a kindly, friendly interest? If you do it to get something or to be reciprocated, if you strive with a gaining idea, you're destined for unhappiness. Every person should dance for life. Not being a dancer, but dancing. Who will never know the pleasure of walking into a hall of wooden bars and mirrors. Who stops because they don't get results. Who always needs stimulus to love or live. Hasn't entered the depths of life and will abandon every time life won't give her what she wants. It's the law of love. You love because you feel the need to do it. Not to get something or to be reciprocated. Otherwise, you are destined for unhappiness. So, any comments, questions? Kelly? I, um, it's a fascinating coincidence that, that this is the lecture today, because I was having, um, so Heather used to teach ballet, as we speak, is going to a studio in Mountain View to do a ballet class, um, which uh, she likes to do sometimes on Saturdays. And we had this conversation earlier today where she said, I like doing these classes because I've done it long enough that when I go in and I put my hand on the bar, I know what it's supposed to feel like. And uh, and and I thought, and I thought, wow, that's that must be so sublime. And, and I think that sometimes 
dreams. Not, not, not as, uh, I think, profoundly as she feels it for a ballet, but sometimes there are moments in Zazen when I go, this is okay. Like, this, this is here. This is, this is, I hesitate to say what it's supposed to feel like. <laughs> Good. But it, but it, but it feels like I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, those are often very fleeting, but it's, it's, it is collectively satisfying when yeah. that happens. Yeah, I, Maddie used to say, you know, there, we do have moments of bliss and that we need them. That's, that's what keeps us yeah. coming back. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, uh, and the, you know, pro the problem is, or a problem is that we, we do that. We, we, we have the experience and then we separate and comment on it. And then we lose it. But it does, it does feel good. There are times of, of samadhi of just sitting. And, and, and knowing that that can be there, even if that's not where you are, is helpful. I think so. I think so. It's just that it's, and, and if you, you know, if you strive to get back to it, then you are destined for a period of unhappiness. <laughs> and, but you, then you find out, you know, oh, that's, that's the road to hell. And you go down it enough times and maybe you stop. Yeah. Zach. You know, I find that even sitting with a busy mind, mm -hmm. um, and but sitting with good posture and everything, and the bell rings and it still it rings and I feel like that was good. Even though I was distracted, um, it's just something to sitting with a good posture and maybe your mind isn't as distracted as long as you think it was. And um, there was some good stuff in there too. Um, but what I wanted to say was, I think this speaks to what you were saying. I used to know, this was actually many years ago, there was a fellow who was a really good winemaker. He made really good wine but he didn't do it professionally. And, um, and I remember asking him once, like he didn't have a winery where he sold the wine. He would just give it to friends and drink it himself. Yeah, but he was really good. He could have been a you know, commercial winemaker. And I asked him why he didn't do that. And he said, well, that would ruin it. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant. You know, having to do all the business stuff and sell the wine and all that stuff. So I, I really admired him for just doing what something he loved mm -hmm. without, without asking anything in return. So. Steve? When uh, you mentioned Huike um, cutting off his arm, supposedly, um, he was just to elaborate a little bit on the story. Bodhidharma sat for, I guess, nine years, and um, Huike wanted to be his disciple and learn and waited outside in the snow for, I guess, a couple of days or something like that. And when Bodhidharma ignored him, he finally cut off his arm and presented it to Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma saw he was sincere and took him in as a student. That's how the story goes. Anyway, I, that came up for me a lot when I was 
considering going to Green Gulch right after I broke my arm, like this very sort of, it was not just that I was taking the story literally because I don't, but I know exactly how it feels to have a lot of pain in the arm now, probably not as much as cutting it off or, you know, I didn't do it to myself um, like Huike supposedly did, but I was, um, I was pretty sure that I would be well enough to go there. And I, I, I um, had this plan to go there in like, I think four days after it would start, something like that. No, five days after it would start and, uh, and asked them, please, please wait for me. And at first they wouldn't. And then I kind of talked them into it and, or, and there were other things happening. There was an exchange student coming at the same time. So I, they figured they'd make two exceptions. Maybe they were going to room us together or something. Anyway, I finally realized that um, I had to, if anything, use the word, to use the word renounce, I had to renounce the idea of that kind of striving, of striving to go to Green Gulch and to, because I realized it would have been actually, um, I mean, you know, I can't predict the future, of course, um, and I couldn't, but my body just was telling me, no, don't do that. Do not try to get up at 4.30 every morning when your ribs are still broken. Do not. And I, I listened. And it was interesting how it felt like on one hand, I was feeling like, I don't know, a little bit of a wimp and a little bit like I was missing something because I enjoyed it so much last year. And there was another part of me that just knew it was the right thing to not do it and to kind of renounce the idea of Green Gulch and renounce the idea of intense practice. And that itself was an intense practice. So that was, that was my way of dancing. It wasn't exactly joyful in a conventional sense, but I think I learned something anyway. Leah? Uh, yeah, I really appreciate Steve's comment about listening to your body and, you know, striving and just signing up for everything. I mean, it can be a, a real good way to burn out. Um, and as lay practitioners, especially, and all of us with different circumstances, I think the most important thing is finding, you know, what's going to be sustainable over a long period, rather than signing up for everything the Zen Center has to offer and finding out that, <laughs> you know, you don't want to do this, this too hard or whatever. Balance that's sustainable over a long time, I think, is much more important than the the striving, even if you're sitting with a distracted mind, like Zach said, there's still some kind of benefit and noticing that it was distracted and just continuing with that regular, whatever that regular practice is. I always like to say it should be a stretch, but not a wrench. Um, Lisa, if you want to say something, you need to put your hands up high because all I can see is your head. So and if, you, if you don't, that's fine, but I just want... Lisa! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I didn't have my hands up before, but I just, uh, I guess what I was thinking about when you were talking about that quote and, and then this idea of the sort of kind of like what the... Uh, Zen Association was saying like, oh, we're getting, we're not, you know, back in the old days when it was really tough, you know, um, I don't know if I, it's the, like the older I get, the more I 
just don't buy all that toughness stuff. Um, and, and I also think it's true that we're in a different time. And I've had to, I have to, I guess, I have to kind of grapple with this, uh, with the students that I'm teaching right now, because it's the same thing is happening in education. Like, like the way I was taught, it just, that way doesn't work with this new brand of students that are coming, you know, that are raised on social media and they're used to, their attention is less able to sustain attention and they're used to that, you know, dopamine hit of instant gratification. So, so it's like, you actually have to teach to that kind of mind now it's like and my sort of wanting to like yeah but they're not going to learn anything if it's not you know it's not the way I learned it you know it just doesn't work and um and I've had to kind of come to some sort of renunciation around that like like I started realizing and this kind of has to do with the quote like like the other day or actually it was yesterday I just decided I'm just gonna play with I'm just going to introduce this idea of playfulness and and I think that's what that quote of Rudolf Nureyev is talking about like like I don't know if I'm teaching them anything and I don't know if they're learning anything but at least um there's a different there's a different energy in the classroom there was the other day and everyone was like, oh, bye. You know, they were, they, you know, they're, they're like more open if it's just playful and there's no stakes. It's, it's like the stakes are a game, right? And, and I don't know, I'm kind of struggling with this in education. Like how, how do I educate now to this new generation? And I, I think it's kind of similar to what you're talking about with the event community I mean we're also uh, if you said to me oh you have to renounce your life and go in and sit until your butt is bleeding I would probably not come back either <laughs> you know so it's kind of like well how do we deal with the way that we actually are today in this world anyway that's Well, they weren't saying, I don't know that anybody was saying that they thought that that was the right way. They're just kind of questioning themselves. Are we, I don't know, you know, are we teaching authentically or something? You know, have we gotten too, too far off onto um, do whatever you want kind of thing? I, I think, I don't know. You know, who don't, there are different people. I don't. I don't know, and I don't remember who said that about being on tier And I pointed out that Dogen, you know, we've read Dogen poetry, and he, he, when he talks about the moon, I long to see the moon over Kyoto. He must have enjoyed the moon over Kyoto. And, uh, and then that, I don't know if you remember, but I, I think I talked about it. Uh, the practice period, he, he, there's a uh, fascicle called uh, Ango called practice period, and, and he makes jokes to the, to the monks. He says something that, you know, you've, you've really learned something in these last three months, and some of you didn't and probably just thought it was a bunch of hooey, 
And so if that's one of you, I want the one, we want our money back, the money back that we spent on you. <laughs> shocking to me that he made it. I mean, I assume it was a joke. And also, if you remember the movie, and uh, he was, uh, he was talking, it, it showed Tetsugikai, and he didn't, he would not transmit Tetsugikai because Tetsugikai did not have grand parental line. And the scene in the movie is with the young monk that's working uh, in the kitchen and um, says to Tetsugikai, I'm not, I'm, it's hard for me because I feel like I'm, I'm getting behind the others because I can't sit so much. And Tetsugikai's response is, well, why, why don't, he wasn't laughing, but, well, why don't you sit at night? Which is crazy, you know, he'd probably cut his hand off if he, if he didn't sleep. Right? And that's, I think that was put in as an example of the mentality of Gikai. It wasn't put in as something to, um, that, that was admirable. It was put in as an example of something problematic. Now I don't I don't remember reading that anywhere, that particular thing, so I don't know that that particular thing happened, but apparently that was the kind of mindset he had, and Dogen did not approve of that. I, each one of us has to find, like Liam said, it's, you know, we have to find your your balance and what you know what is a stretch what is doing it anyway even though you don't feel like it or whatever and what is so much that you burn out or you get really weird <laughs> um, it's not it's not useful there's times when you should just go take a nap Anybody else? Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them.